The scripture reading this morning is Luke 10, 30 through 37. The reading, this reading can be found on page 844 of your pew Bible. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. You may be seated. suppose it's an invitation. It's an invitation for somebody to be close to you. The greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Good morning. Won't you please be a neighbor? For these four weeks last week, what we're doing is exploring the parable of the good neighbor, sometimes known as the good Samaritan, but exploring this good neighbor in Luke chapter 10. And what we want to do is walk step by step on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho as Jesus led This man who came to him and said, Lord, how can I be a part of your family? How can I know that I'm going to inherit eternal life? And he led him down this path from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so we're going to take that walk over these four weeks and explore what it means. How do we practically and actually love our neighbors in a way that honors the Lord and invites kingdom? And so what we're going to do is spend time in this Luke chapter 10 story and learn together how to please, won't you be a neighbor? Let me pray as we open up God's Word. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your Word. Thank you, Lord, that the, the, the story that you told has been preserved in this book for so many centuries with such integrity. Lord, that the very words that we read are the words that he spoke, and they're for us. Lord, would you continue to teach me and allow me to but to teach others this, this critical lesson of how do we actually and practically love those you place around us. Well, it's a work that's beyond the scope of me to do. So Holy Spirit, I invite you present here today. 
Give us ears to hear what you're saying in Jesus' name. Amen. So the story began with uh, a question. A man walked up to Jesus. He was a lawyer by trade, and there was a sense that he was coming to test Jesus. Teacher, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You think about it, the question is, is rich with meaning, like, what is it that I need to do in order to be included in God's family plan? What, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And this call, this question for eternal life, I mean, maybe it's one that we've all asked at times. And we tend to misunderstand this idea of eternal life. We tend to think it's like a new kind of death, that when I die, I won't die. I'll have a different experience rather than death. But I think buried in that question that we need to really think about is this idea of how do I, Lord, get connected into your eternal life? And he may not have understood this when he asked, and we may not think of it when we receive it, this gift of eternal life. But Lord, how do we enter into your family plan? How do we enter into the eternal story of life that God has already been telling in a way that leads us on to a forever life with Him? How can we be fully alive and a part of God's eternal story? Well, this is such a big question, it leads him to go on a back and forth about, well, what do you see is written in the Word of God? What do you read in the law? And the man, being, you know, well-versed in it, answers correctly. He gives him the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So apparently he's been paying attention in church. He's been listening. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Oh, do that. You're going to be just fine. Don't even worry about it. This parable I'm going to share with you, and then we're talking about, is a, has a link There is a link here between the great commandment that we should love the Lord our God with everything we are, the fiber of our being and our soul, and what Jesus will give later as the great commission, the shared mission of God's people to go and invite new friends to enjoy eternal life with Christ. We sometimes, as believers, tend to think these are two different things. There's the great commandment, and then if I feel like it or I'm so called, if I have an opportunity, if I sense a call to mission, yeah, maybe I should participate in the great commission. Or maybe it's the work of the pastors. They're the ones that go and share the mission of God, not not me. Maybe I support people that do it. But I hear in this parable so clearly a link between the two that when we as believers respond to the love shown to us in Christ, we receive that gift of eternal life, we begin to respond with loving the Lord our God. This is the right response. That's why it's a command. The right response to receiving that gift is, I will, Lord, love you. Thank you. The rest of my days, let me live out in gratitude to you, Lord, because you've invited me and paid the way so that I can have eternal life with you. What an amazing gift. The right response is, I love you, Lord. I love you with all that I am, and I will love the people that you place around me because I'm overflowing with the love of God that when we worship Him that way, He will flood us back. I love you too, He'll say. 
And he'll flood our hearts with that in a way that overflows into people around us. And we're going to want to bless the people who are around us. Well, here's what happens. When we receive this call, when we accept that right response of, yes, Lord, I love you and I love through you, when we obey that great commandment, we will by nature have more opportunities to share the love of God in Christ and thereby participate in the Great Commission. They're not two separate things. If we do the one, if we obey the command, we're going to have more opportunities to share in the mission. Do that, Jesus says. You'll be just fine. This parable is set off by a question. And again, what happens is Jesus and the man, they go back and forth a little bit about, you know, what, what does the law say? What, what do you read this to be? And then it goes down to a question. After they agree, yeah, do that and you will live, then the lawyer says this, Wanting to justify himself, in other words, he thought pretty smart of himself, he turned to Jesus and asked him yet another question. Jesus, who is it that is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Ah, ah, ha, Jesus says. Probably with a smile on his face, I'm guessing. Let me tell you a story. Who is my neighbor? I think the lawyer, he's smart but he doesn't realize what he's walking himself into. He's asking Jesus, God, oh, Jesus, who should be the object of my obedience and my, my love for God? Who should benefit from that experience? If I obey that great command and I love you, Lord Jesus, and you fill me and I begin to love out, who is going to be the object of that energy? Who's going to be the object of that love? Aha. Let me tell you a story. Why is there this expectation, this anticipation that if we fill ourselves with God's love that we would impact with others? Why? Who is my neighbor? Well, I'll tell you why. Because a gift so profound, eternal life with God in Christ is such a wonderful gift. If you receive it, going to want to share it with other people. You have got to experience this too. The love of God and that promise of eternal life with Him is so amazing, we should want to. We will. Oh, you've got to have this too. Anyone ever go to a movie you like or see a show you love? Oh, you've got to go see the show. You've got to experience it. We do that so naturally. We share good things. This is the greatest not to share with other people the love of God that he has shown me. I've just got to. Who is my neighbor? Who is going to be the object then of my affection? The story that begins on this road to Jericho. We talked about this last week, so I'm going to go through this somewhat quickly. If you're a little behind, that's okay. Just go online. That sermon is still there. Um, the setting is very important. Jesus said there was a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's roughly 17 miles from the capital city of Jerusalem down to Jericho, which actually was, was a very nice town. It was probably a good place to have a home, raise a family. What you might do is even commute. I work in Jerusalem during the, during the week. After the Sabbath, I go back home to my family. We have a wonderful place. Oh, in Jericho, you'd love it. It's just down the train line, except there's no train. 
They're 17 miles downhill from Jerusalem to Jericho. We talked about this last week. It's up and down. It's very steep. It's a tough road. There's lots of hiding places in it too. Robbers and thieves are abundant here. In fact, it would have been Jesus said there was a man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho that most people who heard that story would have been like, ooh, that's a rough road. That's a rough road. That is the equivalent of maybe commuting from Chicago to here with no train. Oh, you're going that route. Walking down Ogden. Yikes. Careful out there. So it makes sense that there'd be trouble on this road. Friends, what I talked about last week is that we also walk on a dangerous path. We do. We live on one. It's called life. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho, that 17 miles of rough patch, fought with danger at every place, it's very similar to the road that we all live on. It's the road of life. It has its ups and downs, but there's this draw to it. It can be so naturally dangerous. There's physical corruption. We could trip. We could fall. There's darkness and danger. It's long. Sometimes it's lonely. Jesus isn't just describing a physical path from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's saying life is tough. Life is hard on Jericho Road, and we all live it. And there's real enemies on that path, one who would love to steal what you have, one that would love to beat you like a pulp, one that would love to leave you laying in the road half dead. No matter how nice your street is, no matter how beautiful your house is, we all live on Jericho Road. So the first step that we talked about last week was to be a companion. Share the road nicely with others. Walk humbly with God's presence over you, His protection with you, His wisdom in you. Walk humbly on that path knowing that we all walk on a dangerous road, and so therefore let's be a companion. You notice that the first two people that walk by, it's a priest and a they don't share the road nicely. They walk around. This man is in their way, but we're saying in the beginning, this Samaritan, he's humble. He's journeying on the road, sees a man in trouble, and he shares the road. I will stop and help take care of him. To be a companion is to say, I know we're all walking a hard road. You hear that even in our greetings. We talked about that again last week. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Are you doing okay? How's it going? That's so natural because deep down we know there's something wrong. What about this? Does any of you, do any of you do this as you leave someone? Hey, take care now. Take care of yourself. Take care. Why do we say that? Because in our heart, we know that life is dangerous. Anything can happen. Take care of yourself. Be careful now. Walking humbly is to see that there's a real out there and to care and share the road with everyone that we live with and around. It's to see the value in everyone, not ourselves greater than anyone else because we have the love of God and protection of prayer, but humbly seeing the value in each and every friend that we pass. Hey, how are you doing? And maybe even to a server or a postman or someone that you see on your road, a neighbor that you've lived with, lived by for years and you have never interacted with. Hi, how are you doing? Actually, how are you doing for real? You want to get some coffee? I'd love just to hear how you're doing. For real. To be a companion is to want to say, I see value in you. You're not just serving me. I care. Why? Because the love of God has filled my heart and it's overflowing. Be alert to others. Hey, how are you doing? 
How you doing for real? How's it going? And wait for an answer. Look them in the eye. Be alert. Is there some need there? Is there something that's behind their smile maybe today that feels a little broken? How can we be alert to that? Oh, this is going to drive your kids crazy, by the way, when you start to do this. When you go out to restaurants and the server comes to bring the drinks and you're like, hey, hey, how's your shift going? You doing okay? How's it going? Ah, oh, it's, it's going good. Would you hear that, that exhale? Really? How's it, how's it going? You've been working here for a while? Yeah. In fact, this is my third double this week. <sighs> yeah, I can feel that. I can feel that. Drives your kids crazy. Can we just eat? Yeah, we can eat in a second. Be alert to others around you. Well, the second step I want to talk about this morning, the rest of our time, is this call to have compassion. This call to have compassion. This idea of showing compassion, which is more than a feeling, by the way. It's not just pity or feeling sad for someone. What we're going to see is this idea of compassion involves, it involves getting involved. It's stepping up or stepping into someone's suffering in a way that helps bring relief even. I will walk with you in your pain. How can I help alleviate some of your burden? This is what it means to have compassion. You can see if we look back at the story here that the priest and the Levite, they did not have compassion. They walked by the man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho after he was attacked by a robber. It says they stripped him of his clothes, which were of, of good value back then. They beat him to a pulp, and the robbers went away there, leaving him half dead, as good as dead. Probably just looked dead. Well, by chance, there's a priest that goes down the road, and he saw the guy. He looked at him, but he passed wide on the other side. Likewise, there was a Levite. When he came to the place, there's evidence in the word here that perhaps the Levite even took, took a moment and, and, and took a closer look at the guy walked around the wide side. Didn't feel a thing for him. But the Samaritan, aha, when he was traveling, journeying, when he saw the man, he had compassion. He had compassion. Compassion is more than feeling. It's been noted before that a Samaritan third-class citizens, certainly Jews and Samaritans, bitter, you know, kind of view of each other. Jews did not think like Samaritans. Not much at all. Samaritans felt that, oppressed by the Jews. In other words, this man, the Samaritan, had every excuse in the world to walk by this man. Let's presume the man laying there half dead was probably a Jew in Jesus' story. He doesn't say that, but it could be presumed. Of course, how would you know he's stripped naked and bleeding out? Blood is red, just like everyone else's. But the Samaritan was moved. He had compassion. Well, what, what is this idea of compassion? See, we tend to think it's maybe an emotional experience. And I look at someone who's suffering and is like, oh, oh, boy, I'm sad for them. But you notice where that sound came from that I made first, and maybe you make this too, when you see or hear a sad story or you see someone stranded on the side of the road or someone in peril that's near you or even a coworker, a family member who's in struggle, and we have that feeling, that guttural feeling that goes, oh, where does that come from? It comes from our guts. 
See, the, the biblical concept of compassion is more than just a mental exercise. It emerges from our gut. Splanknizomai is the Greek word, and I don't typically try to impress you with, with Greek. It's just such a fun word. Can you say splanknizomai? Look at that. we got Greek scholars in the house. Love it. Our splankna is our innards, our guts. And that's where we feel things. There's a documentary on Netflix right now that talks about our stomach is very smart. It's actually our second brain. It's as smart as your dog, your stomach. It's got as much going on in there as your dog. But there's, there's feelings that we get in our gut when we look upon something to say, oh, I've been punched in the stomach. Because you feel that. And that's what the Samaritan had when he looked upon this poor man laying there bleeding and bleeding out. Oh, feel that. Oh. But it's more than just that experience of, oh, I feel that along with him. It's also the movement towards that suffering in a way that helps relieve it. When someone experiences splanknizomai, she is moved in her guts to suffer with or enter into that pain with that person. That's the completion of the understanding of compassion. It's more than a feeling, more than a, oh, oh, somebody should do something. Splanknizomai, biblical compassion, is also compelled to step into and help bring relief or alleviate do something, enter into the suffering with. Now, that may be with physical presence. It may be with resources. Maybe even prayer. I care and I need to do something. That's compassion. That's biblical compassion. We suffer with, we enter into someone's pain. Jesus had compassion. Jesus had compassion in spades. It was thick. And you see it over and over again in the Word. Jesus had compassion on the crowd at the shore when he got off the boat and he looked at them. It's like, oh, they need, they need someone. They need a leader. He had compassion upon them. Matthew 15, he looked at thousands of people gathered. He's like, they don't have anything to eat. And he felt compassion. And he stepped into their suffering and gave them food. Jesus had compassion. Oh, Luke chapter 7, when a widow was carrying her dead son, he had compassion Oh, I feel that. But then he moved to bring healing and release her from that affliction and raise her son. Jesus looked at crowds, he said, harassed and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion. Oh, he said, someone's got to go minister to them. The harvest is rich. Let's send workers into the field because he had compassion. We have to do something. Jesus entered suffering. Jesus enters into suffering for healing's sake. That's what's so amazing about the gospel, that God loves the world so much that he enters into it by his son to bring healing and relief because compassion. God loves the world. He aches for it, but he doesn't just ache for it. He's sorry for it. He enters into that suffering. You getting this? Back to the parable. Compassion costs. As the good neighbor has compassion, as he sees this man laying there naked, bleeding out, and, and is dead, the good neighbor in verses 34 to 35 has compassion. 
You see this. He aches for him, but it is more than that. Look, it says, the Samaritan, while traveling, came near to him. When he saw him, he had, oh, he had compassion, splunknizomai. So then he stopped on his journey, and he goes to the man, and he bandages his wounds. He pours out oil and his own wine on them to purify and to heal. And then he lifts him up on his own animal, his own donkey, and then he carries him to an inn, and there he, prom- there he takes more care of him. And the next day he pays for his day, and he says, when I come back, I'll even pay more. We're going to dig into this a little more next week. But this is the act of compassion as its whole. He didn't just say, oh, so sad, somebody should do something. Maybe I'll call 911. Oh, they don't have that yet. No, he gets off his animal and he goes and he spends time. He stops on his way. Friends, compassion is going to cost you. I'll warn you ahead of time. Compassion costs. It takes your time. But the Samaritan, as he was journeying, he stopped. He had compassion. I have to help. A couple of weeks ago, my friend Lori came, and you know, she was talking about being at work, working in television, busy life. She's very busy. A friend of hers met her in one of the uh, editing rooms and said, you know, I'm not doing so well. She ended up sharing with her a diagnosis she had just received. And my friend Lori's like, I don't have time for this. But actually, I have all the time in the world. I've been given the gift of eternal life. So she stopped and took care of her. I'll stop. It's going to cost you time. It's going to come at times when it may be even inconvenient. Compassion costs. Compassion costs resources. You may have to buy a a timing belt, a bouquet, a Bible, something that doesn't start with a B. Compassion costs. We might have to do something. We might have to alleviate suffering. You're working a third shift. Let me bless you today as I have been blessed. Why? Because God loves you and He sees the work you're doing trying to care for your family. Compassion costs. It might, like I said, it might cost some resources. Compassion is also risky. There was a man there, half dead, as good as dead. There was no guarantee he was going to make it to the next stop. Compassion accepts the risk that not every time we move in and do what the Lord is instructing us to do to try to bring healing that we're going to get the success and they're going to come to Christ and live happily ever after. There are many times that we can share compassion with people and they still go around a broken way. But that's not ours to judge because love always hopes. Love always hopes. Compassion is risky. Sometimes it doesn't give the result that we want. But we're still called to, to show compassion. Another thing about compassion is that it's not just good deeds. It's not just doing good for people so that they feel better and you feel better. Part of it is going out with the intention of being, again, overflowing with the love of God. He's filled you with that. And how, why do we do these things? Because we're loved. And God's love in our heart overflows into others. And when we do acts of compassion as the Lord instructs us, oh, You might need to get involved here. Let me bring some healing. Let me bring some relief. Let me pour a cup of tea. Let me get a coffee with you. Let me buy lunch. Let me hear from you. Let's talk. Let's work through this. I'm with you in this. It's not just doing a good deed for a good deed's sake. We have to be real clear about that. 
Compassion isn't just giving the cup of water to the thirsty person and going about your way so that you feel better and they feel better. If we are obedient to this great commandment, and to me these are two basic steps of loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, loving our neighbor, having compassion. If we do that, whoops, then we get the opportunities to share Christ. For compassion, I think, to be kingdom-oriented, it can't be a good deed for a good deed's sake. It has to be done in a way that elevates, raises, makes people aware of the name of God in Christ. And that's where things get really fun. We're going to talk more in this parable about how the good neighbor shared the love of Christ there next week. But let me just leave you on that. As we're a humble companion on the road, going about our way, praying, listening for opportunities to share in the suffering of the people God may place around you, place upon your heart, or more specifically in your stomach. Oh, i got to help them. I want to help. It's not just good deeds. Why do you care so much? I've had people ask. Which is ironic because I never used to care about anybody at all. God's filled my heart. I'll tell you why. Because God loves you. And He's shown me that love. And now I'm showing it to you. God loves you. He loves you so much He sent Christ. Really, Jesus, the one who's elevating your suffering. See, Christ has compassion on us. He enters into our pain and suffering. Jesus enters into our pain and our suffering. Before I look at the conclusion here, I ask, is anyone here hurting? Is anyone here experiencing that pain or suffering? Does anyone here feel beaten? Has anyone here been stripped? Has anyone here been robbed? Anyone here today just feeling half dead, barely alive? I want to assure you that Jesus steps into that pain because he feels it along with you and he wants to bring relief and healing and show you his love and the gift of eternal life that he promises to anyone who has faith. And what about the rest of us? In Colossians 3.12 and many other places, it says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on then. There it is. Compassionate hearts. Splanchnismai. Kindness. Humility. Do you see these? Being a, a, a kind person, a humble person, a companion on the road. Put on meekness. Not thinking yourself more than anyone else or your time more valuable than anyone else. Put on patience because sometimes compassion doesn't work. It doesn't give you the result you may think, but we're still supposed to do it. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness, humility. Put on meekness. Put on patience. In other words, please, won't you be a neighbor? Let's pray. Lord Jesus,